a Radio 191 FM podcast. Uh, right now, I'm joined by Associate Professor Jim Headley. Morena to you, Jim. Morning. Uh, it's been a while. Yep. Yeah, I can't remember when we last did this. No, no, it's <laughs> been quite some time, but it's good to have you back in. That's good. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about what Brexit means um, for the EU side of things, because we hear a lot about uh, what it means for the UK. Of course, they're the ones that try, we're trying to do the deal, uh, and uh, I guess things are going to be a lot different for them um, than it's going to be different for the people in the EU, but it's still there are some major changes, uh, and lives will be affected as businesses and the economies will be affected mm. um, a lot more for some countries in the EU than mm. others. Um, but so it's, it's happened now. Um, did you think it was ever going to happen, though? Did you really think this, this day would come? Pre- I mean, before the referendum, did you think it was going to pass? Uh, towards the day of the referendum, I began to think it would. Yeah. Uh, so by the time I saw the result, I personally was very disappointed, but I wasn't all that surprised. Did you get to? Day. Did you get to vote? Are I did. Yeah, I was within fifty. Uh, if you're over fifteen years, having left the UK, you can't. But yeah. at that time, it was still within fifteen years. So yeah. I did. I did vote. <laughs> I re-registered and voted on that. Uh, now I wouldn't be able to because I've been here more than fifteen years. Um, but yeah, in the initial um, period, once the vote had gone, once the referendum had gone through, you kind of expected yes, Brexit's going to happen. And then there was that weird period last year where you're beginning to think well maybe not <laughs> yeah 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 yeah. and yeah. then i think once the election happened in december then that was in some ways even those of us who wanted the uk to remain uh, still a bit of slight relief you know at least we know what's happening now. yeah could you count this second the, the general election as kind of like a second referendum because they all I'm wanted a second referendum. i'm skeptical about it because of the rather bizarre voting system in the uk so if you actually add together probably all the party votes that uh, for parties who at least wanted a second referendum, it's probably a majority in mm-hmm. favour of them. So this idea that the the election was a resounding um, another kind of leave vote, I think, is is um, misleading because it's based on that first past the post mm-hmm. system, which is quite well, as we know, <laughs> it yeah. doesn't work that well. No, 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 I don't. Well, I, I kind of remember the last one we had in New Zealand, but it didn't work very well. Um, all right, let's look at the deal um, for, for the EU side of things. And I guess one of the major uh, sticking points um, was uh, Northern Ireland. Yep. Um, and Gibraltar as well, as you pointed out before. And I didn't, I've never even, th- it's never even popped into my mind, Gibraltar, um, that little enclave. Um, you know, are people worried about it being a hard border? What would a hard border mean? Um, it looks like that hasn't happened. Well, that hasn't happened. Mm. Uh, so how important is it that that hasn't happened, uh, and, and how are they actually going to work around it? Uh, because, you know, um, some things travel freely between the, uh, Northern Ireland and, and the UK, but other things can't. So, I mean, how do they deal with that? Yeah, so theoretically, with the withdrawal agreement, which was all passed, and that was part of the UK coming out on 31st of January, the issues, that was one of the issues that's supposed to be, have been resolved. Um and the UK has made a commitment which was there anyway through the Good Friday Agreement and so on, that there would never be a hard border, basically border controls and so on, on the border between Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland. So they're committed to that. Um, Different from Theresa May's deal was that Northern Ireland would be part of the EU Customs Union, so basically have the same external tariff as the rest of the EU, whatever Mm -hmm. the rest of the UK was doing. From the UK perspective, I suppose the revised deal is better, that Northern Ireland will have the same deal, and that also means that Northern Ireland will be included in any 
uh, free trade agreements, such mm -hmm. as with New Zealand. Um, but to avoid a hard border, um, they've basically got this complicated arrangement that goods coming from Great Britain, the mainland, into Northern Ireland that might then go on to, uh, or th the languages are at risk <laughs> yeah. of going on to the rest of the EU, uh, basically have to um, be in line with EU regulations and um, have to pay the same tariff as they were going into the EU. And what that effectively means is that probably there has to be some sort of border between mainland Great Britain and Northern Ireland. However, Boris Johnson's claiming it doesn't <laughs> at the moment. Yeah, yeah. So the actual kind of way this is working out is already one of the things that they're disagreeing about. <laughs> but it's hard to see how they can avoid those sort of checks. So basically, there's a complicated arrangement that goods will sort of, if they're just going to Northern Ireland, then they'll sort of be covered by the UK tariff and so on. But if it looks like they might then go on to the rest of the EU, then the UK has to kind of levy the EU tariff and so on. Yeah. So it's a very unique thing, but it's a unique situation. So. It is a very unique situation. Um, what about Gibraltar? Um, what, mm. what happens there? I mean, yeah. we don't really think or know much about Gibraltar no. here. Well, as you said, people tend, tend kind of to neglect that one, but um, there's basically three land borders between the UK and its kind of wider territories and the EU, and, and one is, the big one, of course, is Northern Ireland. Another one is Cyprus, where there's UK sovereign bases, and that's been covered with the withdrawal agreement as well. Um, but then Gibraltar. When Spain joined the European Union, or European Community, as it was then, and the UK was already a member, in order to get in, Spain basically had to accept Gibraltar as part of the UK. So, mm. um, but they, it's long-standing Spanish principle that they want sovereignty over Gibraltar. So now they're kind of playing hardball on that and, and uh, the EU's kind of supporting them on that to say that Gibraltar will be basically be dealt with by a separate agreement. So it won't be kind of covered by the overall agreement, a bit like Northern Ireland is. Yeah. Um, but the UK is saying no, Gibraltar is part of the UK, so it's going to be dealt with in exactly the same kind of way. Um, the complications around that are, does that become a kind of fundamental sticking point? Spain's trying to say, well, we have to get that before we kind of move on with anything else. And so far, other EU countries, including the kind of declaration they've made uh, stating their principles for the negotiation, has agreed with that. But of course, as you, as you mentioned, other countries, different countries have different interests in this, and some are much more keen to kind of get an agreement with the UK and mm. might be more willing to kind of throw Spain aside. So it might be that that's a kind of strong starting bargaining point but there will be some sort of flexibility and the UK also might have to be a bit flexible. What Spain's talking about is some potential sort of co-sovereignty and co-control oh. over the airport and things like that. But it's a very complicated thing because um, it's right there next to Spain Yeah. and a lot of people actually cross the border each day to go and work in Gibraltar and vice versa. Uh, and goods, of course, cross the border and as I mentioned before, uh, when we were talking before, um, there's kind of issues around cigarette smuggling and things like this. So it is, it is actually quite a concrete issue. Interesting, interesting. So, I mean, I guess that's one to watch because we yeah. don't really know how it's going to play out. Uh, a, b a big thing, a big sticking point for, for many years for countries in the east of Europe has kind of been this brain drain. Yeah. Uh, it's something that um, we think, it, we used to think about quite a lot when Kiwis went over to Australia quite a bit. Yeah. Um, but in countries like Romania, Bulgaria and the like, 
Poland, of mm. course. Um, a lot of them have gone, three million plus have gone to, to the UK to work, and apparently those ones can stay. Yep. But what is it? I mean, I, I guess this is probably a good thing for those kinds of countries, uh, unless they start moving. You know, of course, they don't just go to the UK and sort of right. other European Union cities, but uh, countries, mm. but. Um, it's uh, you know they might have a good way of retaining some of their skilled mm. people, especially you know I mean those that get university educations in those places they just yeah. leave, don't they? Yeah, I mean I think you're right, and that's the way that some of the um, governments in in countries like Poland and Hungary have been presenting it, not just with Brexit, but more generally trying to say you know uh, Poland actually sort of survived the um, financial crisis, the eurozone crisis quite well, and. Some people were sort of going back to Poland at that time, and the, and the government was trying to kind of encourage, as you say, a kind of reversal of the brain drain. Mm-hmm. Um, so in some ways, they're sort of favourable about that, um, and perhaps encouraging Poles, for example, who have moved to the UK to, to return. Um, but I think, as you say, it's going to be interesting, the dynamics of this, about where people might look to travel to afterwards. Yeah. Um, so... And what that means in terms of language and education. Um, most likely, the Brexit, the, the overall kind of deal in the end will will include kind of uh, the Erasmus programme, which means students can go and study in the UK and vice versa. So people might still go and study in the UK, but to go and work, they might go to Germany, for example, and that might have different implications. Yes. Um, uh, well, what, oh, sorry, go on. But um, I, th- I think um, you, you're right that there's a sort of potential to reverse... Uh, the brain drain. At the same time, these countries were often quite strongly supported by the UK and are going to be hit by it in other ways. Yeah. So, for example, the UK, part of the issue uh, in, the, in the referendum was that the UK was one of the, what they called the net contributors to the budget. So they paid more into the, UK, into the EU budget than they received back. Mm-hmm. And, and the poorer countries benefited from that. So they're kind of losing that. Also, the UK was a strong supporter of them joining the EU. Yeah. Um, and in terms of sort of economic policy, we're qu- quite close. So these countries sort of look very favourable towards the UK, and so those are the ones who will also will want some sort of generous deal. But in terms of that kind of movement of people, what the UK is holding out for is a, is a sort of point system like we have. Yeah. Um, and particularly talking about um, allowing more sort of educated and qualified people to come in. Um, which might exclude some of these people, but it's actually problematic for a lot of the businesses in the UK who kind of rely on uh, actually kind of more low-wage labour from the EU. So how that's actually going to play out is it's quite complicated. I mean, New Zealand's sort of in the same position. Yes, you have the point system and things, but you have certain kind of exceptions around, like, fruit picking and so on. Mm. But that's been an issue. Yeah. You know, there's sort of farmers saying we haven't actually got enough kind of access to cheap labour at the times that we need it. Yeah, and that could well be a problem for the UK as well. So how actually that kind of movement of people happens afterwards is going to be quite complicated. Yeah, and there could be a bit of exploitation going on for yeah. the peoples around, around yeah. this as well. Yeah. Um, and, and I guess another flow-on effect from uh, maybe some of those people going to other EU countries is because a, a big reason for people wanting to vote to get out of the EU was because you were having a lot of these um, people mm. mi- migrating into the EU. So, I mean, are we starting to see other nations grumbling about thinking about leaving? Are we seeing far-right mm. parties really pushing for other nations, their nations, to leave the EU as well? And, and if it is a big success, mm. will we see that happen? Well, first of all, that's been one of the kind of 
underlying principles within the negotiations from the EU perspective, not to give the UK enough to make it look like, well, it's a kind of um, costless exit. Mm. And they put that right at the start of their principles in the latest round of negotiations, just as they did at the start with the withdrawal agreement. They say that um, leaving the EU means that there's going to be costs. You can't have the same benefits as being in the EU. And that's kind of basic principle. And part of that is elites and government leaders and so on, as well as um, uh, European um, politicians, um, trying to kind of set a deterrent so that other countries don't try to. And in fact, if you look at it, because of the whole complications and the political turmoil over Brexit, there has been a sort of decline in support, even from those politicians in countries which are quite Eurosceptic, who are kind of looking at this as a potential model and are now beginning to think, well, actually, it's it's too costly and it's too complicated. Um, So it's quite varied. Um, You get people like uh, Marine Le Pen in France who potentially is sort of saying, yes, we could follow that route. Um, And even people in, we talked about how countries like Poland have sort of benefited from joining the EU and so on, but even there they're sort of quite Eurosceptic as well. Yeah. Um, But at the same time um, I don't think any of them are actually likely to kind of follow that route. And you're right, some some people voting... um, going back to the actual UK referendum some people were sort of saying this is great this is a chance for us to kind of break up the EU and we're even voting on that basis um, people who are so Eurosceptic but it's yeah. not what was remarkable about the whole kind of negotiations over the withdrawal agreement was how um, the EU despite having very varied interests in different countries how um, much solidarity and unity there was Yeah, and I suspect that will continue but there are differences over what to do now. Are there fears in, 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 the, in Britain that manufacturing and, and the like might go off into Europe too? I mean, of mm. course, um, the, Britain has a, a pretty big population. I had the second, it's got the second biggest economy in, in the EU. Um, but, you know, there's still 400 plus million people in the EU. Uh, so that's a lot of customers. Mm. Could we see manufacturing mm. leaving Britain and, and could that really affect the economy? Well, I think from the UK perspective, they're thinking that they're going to be able to have these glorious free trade agreements for New Zealand and uh, America and so on. And so if it does, then they're compensated by that. Um, but at the moment, they got this, they're part of this bigger market till the end of this year, this bigger market. So um, if tariffs come in and, and so on, depending on what the agreement is, then it's bound to have an effect. Mm. And the other problem is that manufacturing, it may be easier. They, they talk about this um, flow of goods back and forth across the North Sea. So building a, a motor car in, in the UK relies on these goods which sort of come over from Europe and then go back for the next stage of production and then back again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they do this in terms of a very kind of last minute so that they don't have kind of costly stockpile. And all of that could well be affected. Yeah. Um, so um, from the EU perspective, there's potential benefits out of this. And, you know, you get this kind of manufacturing coming to, to mainland Europe. Um, and different countries might benefit differently from this. But again, they're trying to kind of hold out and the Commission's trying to hold them together to sort of say, well, we're not going to kind of do different sort of deals in different sectors in order to kind of benefit particular countries. We're going to try and encompass this. In, in a bigger kind of framework. Um, the other area, not so much significant economically, but politically in the way these negotiations go, is fishing. No, so yeah, of course. Um, the UK government's made this big deal about we're now an independent country, 
it's our waters, it's up to us how we fish them. And if we allow other countries to come in and fish our waters, then that has to be done as a sort of annual agreement. Whereas at the moment, there's a kind of um, overriding uh, deal by which um, boats from um, certain EU countries can, can go and fish. And also, um, the, U- the, the UK, of course, has um, tariff-free access for, for fishes into the EU. So that's an area which they basically put kind of right up front as saying the EU wants that access to continue and the UK saying, well, we don't. Yeah. Which is partly political because a lot of the people who voted for Brexit and so on were, were kind of um, concerned about that. Um, so we have seen some things happening around Iceland with the, uh, with, yeah. with um, British fishing boats and yeah, maybe we'll cod wars. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and maybe we'll see cod wars part two. Yeah, well, they are talking about that. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, what I was reading about just now was how the um, UK government is now talking about kind of boosting its security, presumably putting naval boats across its kind of waters, in order to kind of position itself in their language to prevent a cod war, <laughs> but prevent it presumably by being in a position to prevent any boats going in. Yeah, yeah. So. So you're right, and not just with with Iceland, with Norway and so on. Yeah, with, with the EU countries, it's particularly I think Poland, Netherlands, France is is a big one. Um, is it Belgium? So certain countries, yeah, are affected much more than these by than others. Interesting, interesting. I didn't even think about fishing, uh, and there'll be a whole bunch of things. You know, I mean, you, you think about the connections. You think Airbus. Uh, yeah, the, yeah. Airbus yeah. is uh, things like uh, yeah, the European the European Space Agency, uh, British scientists uh, yeah. um, with with CERN. Um, you yeah. know, I mean, I think th- they're sort of saying that those are the kind of areas that they'll probably actually get agreement quite quickly on scientific and um, and education sort of cooperation because it's in everybody's mutual interest. Airbus is an interesting case because I looked into that a bit last year, um, because one of the one of the issues is about state subsidy. Mm. So the EU has this rule about, you know, you can't over kind of sub use the state to kind of aid certain industries because that creates unfair competition. And that's one of their kind of principles in saying that uh, to have this level playing field in the future, then the UK can't begin to kind of really subsidise its um, businesses. But I've kind of looked into this about Airbus because I've kind of thought, well, isn't that what Airbus does? And yeah. in fact, they, they've been taken to, to the... Um, uh, World Trade Organization caught through from by the US and found guilty of oversubsidizing by a huge amount. Oh wow! And then fined a huge amount as well. So, oh. um, so it's an interesting case, but uh, I guess again it's in their mutual interest to keep it keep it going. Yeah, we know well about those subsidies. Um, uh, of course, when we stopped ours, you lot stopped buying our butter. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> so around the yeah, same time. So. Yeah. So, so, you know, let's get that Kiwi butter back in. <laughs> um, we know how you English love your anchor. <laughs> this is true. Right. This is true. It's true. Oh, I mean, there's so much and um, more to talk about. We have run out of time, and maybe okay. we'll have a chance to talk again. Um, yeah. But, I mean, uh, this is a, a work in progress still. I mean, a, a deal's been made, but things will be tweaked and changed. And, uh, and when we say a deal's been made, I mean... Well, you've exited, but there's still every other yeah. deal to be made. Well, that's right. And Johnson's sort of saying Brexit's happened. He's told his civil servants not to mention Brexit. It's, it's been, it's happened. UK's an independent country. Now they're talking about as an independent country, we're developing a free trade agreement with the EU, just as New Zealand is. But in fact, a lot of it is extricating these very complicated um, issues of, of very much interlinked economies and. 
that's going to go on for a long, long time, the negotiations. Yeah. Even if a deal's reached by the end of the year on the main things, a lot of the other stuff. And a lot of the whole kind of regulations are still going to be there. How you actually organise, just like with Australia and New Zealand, how yeah. you kind of institutionalise this kind of common market sort of thing. How are you going to do that with the UK independent but wanting this kind of access to the EU market? Yeah, well, they've always been that player in the EU anyway. They haven't adopted the euro, you know, and all those other things. That's right. And I th- I'd say that about um, the, the attitude from from the European Union. I think a lot of countries and politicians so must secretly be just relieved. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, first of all, three and a half years of really torturous stuff taking up time. Um, but in the longer term, just the UK was a pain in the ass. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll wait to see what happens, and we really do for for Aotearoa New Zealand because this could be good for us. This could be good for us, which is interesting in a way. But yeah, potentially. But again, I think the big priority for the UK will be these negotiations with the EU first, yeah. and actually similarly for New Zealand. Uh, the, 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 Finalising the free trade agreement with the EU comes first because it's a bigger market. Yeah, that's right. And the EU, um, yeah, we, we probably look a little bit more attractive with this as well for, for yeah. to the EU. Yeah. Um, all right, brilliant. Well, thank okay. you so much for coming. That's Always right. a pleasure. No, it's a pleasure. And we'll get you okay. in sooner uh, rather than later. Great. Thank all right. That was a Radio One ninety one FM podcast. You can find more at r1.co.nz or wherever quality content is found.